Okay, so here's what you need to do. Look to your left. There should be a seatbelt. Just grab it, click it. There should be a helmet under your seat. What? You don't have helmets? Put them on. This is the time. This is, this is crash time. This is God-breaking end time. This is Sunday worship, and this is preaching. Okay, so uh, there's a 1980 movie called My Bodyguard. Uh, the storyline follows a troubled high school kid. This is not the 1990s version. This is the first version, which was a better version. Uh, this troubled kid is named Linderman. He's troubled. Uh, he is depressed. He's all alone. Uh, his whole external vibe is, don't mess with me. Uh, rumors run the hallways of the school. He's killed a kid. But the truth of the matter is, is that he witnessed the death of his younger brother. And he has been blaming himself ever since. And so he's a train wreck ready to happen. He's imploding on the inside out. He's in shutdown mode. And just when you begin to learn these dynamics, uh, a new kid comes to school, a kid named uh, Carl one day. And Carl is on the outcast spectrum like Linderman. And so they become friends, and Carl befriends Linderman. And in that friendship, he invites him over to his house for a meal one evening. And while they're about ready to enter the house, he pulls him aside, and Carl warns him about his grandmother. He says, my grandmother, my grandma, is a little crazy. <laughs> so the stage is set for Linderman to walk through the house, and he walks into the house, and here comes crazy grandma, and she sees him, zooms in on him, swoops in on him, right? And with a gleam in her eye, she grabs his hand and she says, I'm going to read your palm. And so she grabs him, pulls him down. She's looking at his hand. You know, he's just reluctantly unclosing his fist. She examines his palm for about a minute. She looks at a scar and she goes, what's that? And he quickly pulls it away and closes his fist. To which she reaches out, snatches his hand, and says, I'm not do it, done with you yet, kid. You're among friends. And he slowly opens his hand, and then she looks at his hand, looks him in the eye, and she says, let's see. I see a long life and good things. Lots of good things. And Linderman's whole face and his whole countenance changes. He changes. Everything changes. This morning, God grabs your hand in this text. He looks you in the eye and he says, I'm not through with you yet, kid. We stand for the hearing of God's word. Uh, there's a lot to read. It's hard doing two chapters and trying to give you that. As I told the first service, I'm trying something new. I'm putting the text actually on my notes because it's easier for my neck. We'll see how it goes. All right, Genesis 40, verse 5. This is where we start. And one night they both dreamed. Who are these dreamers? The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, confined in prison, so each had his own dream, and each dream had its own interpretation. So when Joseph came into them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, 
Why are your faces downcast? In other words, why are you all so depressed? <laughs> they said to him, we've had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell me your dreams. So they do. And now in verse 14, we're getting the response. One gets a good, positive interpretation of his dream, the cupbearer, and the baker, not so positive. So the, the positive one is the cupbearer. And so uh, Joseph's talking to him because he sees his way out of prison. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. So get me out of this house, and so get me out of the house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing, and they put me in this pit. So on the third day, here's the historical fulfillment of it. On the third day, when, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Chapter 41, two years passed since this time, and Pharaoh dreams a dream standing on the Nile. So goes the dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all his magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Oh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. And there was a young Hebrew who was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and we know what happened to the baker. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit, like rushed him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Remember, the, the Egyptians were obsessed with cleanliness. So you, they had no body hair. They shaved everything. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there's none who can interpret it. I've heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. It is not in me. God will give you, Pharaoh, a favorable answer. And so it was told... It, was, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout the land. After that, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the king is fixed, the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. All the dreams came in pairs, and now we know why. They're fixed. They're determinative. In other words, these dreams get things done. <laughs> Seven years of plenty occur. Here's the historical fulfillment. And the land of Egypt came to an end. Seven years of famine began, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. And here's the end. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses, sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, 
all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. In other words, he's the savior of the world. Uh, let's pray. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Lord, thank you that you shine on the page. We ask you to do so now. Would you speak us back to life again, we ask in your name, amen. Okay, so by the time the cupbearer, who I want you to think of the cupbearer, he's like the poison tester, all right? So he's a close confidant of Pharaoh, and I want you to think of the baker as the Egyptian Gordon Ramsay. Uh, he actually... Is that, does everybody know who Gordon Ramsay is? That didn't go over well in the first service. I'm like, how do y'all not know Hell's Kitchen? How do you not know Gordon Ramsay? Even the, like, the AT&T commercial with the fake English accent that the girl did? Does anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Okay, thank you. All right, well, the Egyptian Gordon Ramsay, do you know that the historical documents say that there were 38 kinds of cake that were baked for Pharaoh? 38 different kinds of cake. Man, I want to be Pharaoh. They had 57 varieties of bread. This is what the historical documents. So you have a cupbearer, you have a baker, they land in prison. They're close confidants of the king. So probably, probably it has something to do with some sort of disloyalty or treacherous plot that was scuffered. Maybe a coup, maybe an assassination attempt. Who knows? That's why they're in trouble. Well, by the time they get to prison where Joseph is, Joseph has been a slave and a prisoner for 11 years. 11 years. 11 years of suffering without relief. When you suffer, you say things like, I'm in pain. When you suffer without relief for 11 years, you say things like, I am pain. 11 years of feeling out of control. So again, it's not like, oh man, yeah, I'm just having a hard time in this area of my life. It's now, I'm out of control. 11 years of questioning God. There's this guy, Adoriah Judson, who's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite missionaries. He um, has this incredible like passion to take the gospel where it's never gone before. He has his young bride, the love of his life. They go overseas. They have a child, and both of them die. As he buries his wife and buries his child at the same time, he loses his mind for two years. We call that a mental breakdown, mental health issue. And while he lost his mind, he said in his biography, God became the great unknown to me. You question God for 11 years of slavery in prison, and God is the great unknown to you. 11 years of anxiety, you know, not just I'm anxious, I'm fear itself. 11 years of anger. Can you imagine? 11 years of not just, you know, I'm kind of angry at my brothers. 11 years is, I want revenge. Payback. 11 years of rejection. I am unloved. Nobody loves me. 11 years of shame. 
I'm a nobody. I'm nothingness. So 11 years of, are you done with me, God? So when the cupbearer and Gordon Ramsay tell Joseph they had a dream, what would you expect Joseph to say to them? What would be his response? I mean, think about it. 11 years. What do you think? The cupbearer and, and Gordon Ramsay, hey, man, we had a dream. What do you think? What do you expect? What would Joseph say to them? Maybe it'd be something like, so? I mean, dreams mean nothing. Why are you trying to find significance in a silly dream? Don't be stupid. Or maybe it'd be more like this. Probably, if this was me, it'd be more like this. Oh, don't trust them. Don't trust those dreams. Dreams will ruin your life. They'll take everything you love away from you. Don't believe in dreams. What would you expect Joseph to say to them? Verse 8. They said, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please, tell me your dreams. Oh my word, it's unbelievable. After 11 years of wreckage, after 11 years of ruin, Joseph still believes his dream. He still believes his 11-year-old dream. This is stunning. This is breathtaking. This is extraordinary. This is Joseph still believes dreams belong to God. So we need to do just a quick time out, a little teaching moment about dreams. Dreams in Genesis are revelatory, which means they come from God. Uh, Dreams are divine intrusions that break into this world. Dreams are words, reality, truth from another world that come invading into this world and go, here's what's true. But they're not just information about reality, dreams get things done because they're the very words of God in Genesis. And so some of us that are real quick because you have dreams and and you're wondering, and I know that if you have children, eventually they're going to ask you because they have a dream, what does this dream mean, Dad? What does this dream mean, Mom? What about dreams today then? That's what dreams were for, and that's what dreams were like in Genesis. But what about dreams today? My first response is, don't be stupid. Just kidding. My first response is this. The question is, if dreams in Genesis are revelatory words from God, I want you, this is, if dreams in Genesis were words from God, but now we have Genesis. We have the Bible. So dreams then were revelatory words from God because there was no Bible but now we are dreams still revelatory today? Are dreams still words from God intruding into this world today in your dreams? Some people, some folks actually believe that is the case. There are some traditions of the church that actually believe that. Uh, The majority of church history perspective on this is no, because we have the Bible. 
we have the Bible. And then my favorite church, church historian would say, because how would you know then if, if, if dreams were still revelatory, how would you know they weren't just your imagination or indigestion? So where do we fall? Where do I fall? We're in the, the Bible camp. Since we have the Bible, we have the revelatory words of God. So the dreams in Genesis were revelatory words from God. So let's go back to there. Let's go back to Joseph. Joseph has been holding on to his dream, his 11-year-old dream, which means Joseph has been holding on to God. Joseph has been holding on to God's words for 11 years. And holding on to them in that dynamic of holding on to them, and there's something coming from these words that are living and life-giving and power flows into him from these words through faith. Because this is exactly what faith is. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, actually uses Joseph as an example. So this is what means. This is what's happening for Joseph during his 11 years. So what happens is this. Your suffering can say to you, God is done with you. But God's word says, no, he's not. Your questions of God might get answered. Like all the questions when you're struggling, you might get answers to them. You might provide your own answer. Some other human being might give you an answer. The media might give you an answer. Uh, Your life situation might give you an answer. Uh, A a troubled event in your life might give you an answer. An ideology might give you the answer that, yes, yes, God is done with you. Your anxiety and your shame and your rejection might give you An answer, yes, God is done with you. But God, in his good words, through Joseph's dream, reaches across the table and grabs your hand and says, I'm not done with you yet, kid. I see a long life. Good things. Lots of good. I know that many of you right now, though, are saying, but Jeff, I'm not Joseph. I'm not a hero of the Bible. I struggle to believe. I'm more like Gordon Ramsay in this story, right? Let's look at him. Verse 19, in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. In other words, God is done with me is how you feel. God is done with you. I want you to look at what Joseph says to the cupbearer, the hero of the story, right? The one that has such strong faith. Look at verse 14. Only remember me. See that word? That word is only used... In, in a covenantal sense, when God remembers you, when God remembers his people, and it's equivalent to saying when God loves you, when God delivers you, when God acts for you. Isn't that interesting? And he's applying it to the cupbearer. That's so strange. Only remember me, cupbearer. You deliverer, you And then when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness. That's another interesting word in the Hebrew. That word is called hesed. And in the the Bible, it's like 
Nobody knows what it means. It's just got this multi-level, multi-variety, overwhelming abundance of words like loving kindness, like loyal love, like steadfast love, like enduring love, like mercy and grace. And everybody, if you talk to a Hebrew scholar, they're like, hey, man, what, is, what does hesed mean? And they'll be like, uh, nobody knows. But they try to tell you things like mercy, love. It's just beyond, it's beyond our, our thesaurus and vocabulary to even try to describe because it's a word that describes God's love for you. Do me the hesed, cupbearer. So strange. So strange. In other words, Joseph is looking to the cupbearer to be a substitute deliverer, an alternative deliverer. And now we're all scratching our head like, what? (laughs) Wait a minute, what? This is the hero. What's going on? And this is what I love about the Bible. Because we're still on those of you that are struggling with faith. What I love about the Bible is that the Bible is reality, that God in his word is going to be the only person, the only place you can go on the planet that's going to tell you the truth all the time. It's going to give you reality all the time. No one else will. Nothing else will. Joseph is the Christian life. In other words, at one level, we hold on to the dream that God gives us. We hold on to him and his word. At one level, all Christians do. But at other levels and at other areas of our life, we don't. We trust ourselves more than we trust God. And that's why suffering hits us and we start trusting ourselves more than we trust God. Chaos racks the culture and the church can even collectively start trusting itself more than it trusts God. That's why we trust our own righteousness, our own righteousness. And we trust in human love more than God's righteousness that He gives. And more than this hesed love that He gives. And so what do we end up doing when we end up trusting that more than Him? We start trusting our own righteousness to give us enoughness, to give us some sense of, like, I'm okay, I'm a somebody. There's not a lot of that going on today. We trust in human love to heal us from our sin and from our scars in life. We trust in our own righteousness to like set us free, to actually make us be a, a, a real, who am I person? <laughs> to live a life that's outward and it doesn't happen. I mean, we end up trusting strategies of control and power. Do we not do this? Stuff happens, and what if a bunch of, what if a country starts trusting collective new strategies of power and control instead of God's power and his control? Well, things like this happen. We're more concerned about winning than serving people. We beat down people instead of build people up. We silence people and dismiss them instead of debate and disagree with them and have a reasonable conversation about reasonable things. 
So how do you know if a power is of uh, a substitute alternative power and control in this world, a counterfeit one that is it doing any of the things we just talked about? Does it silence people? Does it censor people? Is it unreasonable? Can it disagree and still be friends? Is it always condemning and canceling? Then I counterfeit. Because when God's power and his control invades the world, it's perfected in weakness. And it enables you to love people and enables you to make friends and enables you to have reasonable conversations and debate and disagree. So what does God do to help us trust him, though? I mean, okay, so this is Joseph, but this is us. Like, we're this conflicted person, right? Part of us trust God in some areas, and another, this old self, part of us doesn't trust him in other areas. What would he do? How do you live this Christian life? Well, this is what's so incredible. Look at verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. In other words... An alternative deliverer always forgets you. An alternative deliverer never remembers you. An alternative deliverer cannot deliver you. An alternative deliverer does not love you. And what God does for us is he allows us to experience and feel the failure of all our of our alternative deliverers. He lets that happen. In other words, he lets the chief cupbearer not remember Joseph but forget him. Because that's what a chief cupbearer does. A chief cupbearer does not love Joseph. A chief cupbearer is not a deliverer. A girlfriend is not a deliverer. Your spouse is not Hesed. Your ideology is not a deliverer. So what does God do to help us trust him? He lets us feel the inability of this alternative deliverer. And usually that comes in the, in the feelings of disillusionment and in a you can, wherever you find disillusionment, you could probably find the alternative deliverer failing you. Wherever you find great disappointment, you can find an alternative deliverer disappointing you, forgetting you, not coming through for you. Wherever you find despair and deep discouragement, you will find an alternative substitute deliverer that has forgotten you and cannot deliver you and does not love you. And while that's happening, God grabs your hand. I'm not done with you yet, kid. I see a long life and good things. Lots of good things. This is what happens to Joseph. Look at verse 1 of 41. After two whole years, two more years of being a slave, two more years of being a prison after this event, 
After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Another dream come. Wow. Joseph is praying his pain to God. While Joseph is praying his disappointment, his disillusionment, his despair to God, while he's processing all of that to God, God gives another dream. Why does God give another dream? Because God is the dream giver. Because God because God is the only deliverer that doesn't forget you and always remembers you. Because God is the only one that says, I'm not done with you yet, kid. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you, you, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered, not me, but God. And you're watching a man change on the spot. You're watching a man, not me, but God. A human being, not me, but God. Not me. But God. It's breathtaking. His alternative deliverer is going away. He actually feels loved by God. He actually feels delivered by God. He actually feels, I'm okay. We're going to end this way. We're going to end with Gordon Ramsay, the Egyptian Gordon Ramsay. I think he's the star. I think he is the star of the story. He's so overlooked, but he is the star. I want you to listen to Joseph's interpretation of Gordon Ramsay's dream. Are you ready? Here it is. And Joseph answered and said to him, this is his interpretation. The three baskets are three days, and three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. In other words, he's going to put you on a pike. He's going to crucify you. He's going to stick you to a stake. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. Do you see it? Look again. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. This is worse than death for an Egyptian. This is the worst thing that you could actually tell an Egyptian. This is eternal death. Why? Because his body is not mummified. Because an Egyptian knows that your body must be preserved. Your body must live for you to survive death. A body must be preserved and survive to avoid comprehensive death. The Egyptians knew that a body must rise to be delivered from death. A body must rise to be delivered from death. And Jesus grabs your hand. I'm not through with you yet, kid. I see a long life and good things. 
lots of good things because I'm the body that rises. I'm the ultimate deliverer. Amen.